Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, a gunman has killed two people before he was gunned down by police in New Zealand hours before the FIFA Women's World Cup kicked off. Russian President Vladimir Putin will participate in the BRICS summit in South Africa next month via video link. Several people have been shot in Kenya during a new round of nationwide protests against tax hikes and the high cost of living. Starting in the Asia Pacific region, a gunman has killed two people and wounded six others before he was gunned down by police in New Zealand's largest city of Auckland. The incident happened at a construction site in downtown Auckland just hours before the opening match of the FIFA Women's World Cup. Owen Poland reports. The shooting took place on a construction site right next to the hotel where the Norwegian team was staying and the players were forced into a lockdown until the incident was over. A nearby football fan zone was also cordoned off and closed to protect people from the drama, which involved a man shooting his workmates with a pump-action shotgun. However, the Prime Minister has now reassured everyone that it was an isolated incident and that there was no threat to national security. Auckland, Aucklanders and those watching around the world can be assured that the police have neutralised the threat and that they are not seeking anybody else in relation to the incident. New Zealanders' safety and the safety of our visitors is our first priorities. The gunman has been identified as a 24-year-old who has had a history of domestic violence, and the police commissioner said he wounded an officer before he was shot and killed by the police. That was Owen Poland reporting from Auckland. In Asia, Peter Limjaranrat's bid to become Thailand's prime minister is over. Parliament has denied his renomination following a constitutional court's decision to suspend the Move Forward Party leader as a lawmaker. Local media say Thailand's parliament will vote again in a week's time to choose a prime minister. Chawarat Yunjiranan has more from Bangkok. Whatever last hope supporters of the Move Forward Party or MFP had for its leader Pita Limjaranrat, they've been diminished after Parliament voided his candidacy as Prime Minister. The reason for the decision, a technical legality, which prevents a proposal to be submitted twice in Parliament. Things were already looking bleak for Pita during the parliamentary session when the Constitutional Court announced it will accept the Election Commission's request to rule on Pita's MP status, given he had an alleged shareholding of a media company. MPs are not allowed to own shares of a media company. The court announcement meant that Pita's MP status was suspended until it finished its ruling. Even though this did not impact Pita's standing to run for PM, Upon hearing the announcement, he swiftly stood up and exited the parliament, only to come back to address the parliament one last time. I think that Thailand has changed and will never be the same after our general elections. The people have been able to move forward with our party, but we are only halfway there. Even though I am unable to perform my duties, I ask my fellow MPs to help take care of the people instead. The ball now is on Puatai's court. The eight-party coalition will now have to decide who it will propose as the next candidate for prime minister. 
One potential candidate is Seta Tawisin, a well-accomplished businessman in Thailand's real estate sector. But there are questions as to whether Pertai's relationship with MFP will remain strong, given the blows the party has taken. Analyst Padinya Tewa Narimitkun believes Pertai cannot afford to let go of MFP's coalition, as together they will hold a significant influence in the lower house. But I would say if Pertai, uh, you know, strong enough, they must know, realize that uh, move forward and Pertai is majority, absolute majority of the lower house. No one else can build any coalition. Arinya says the most likely scenario is Putai will add more coalition partners to strengthen their votes for prime minister. It is clear there is ongoing pressure for a new government to be selected. The private sector wants leadership for an economic recovery the country needs. In the meantime, Propita supporters are out on the streets. It is unclear what move they will make next. The road to premiership ends here for Move Forward Party leader Pita Lim Rat. Now it's up to the eight-party coalition as to who they will propose for the next prime minister candidate and whether or not they will garner enough support. That was Chawarat Yongjiranen on the race for the premiership in Thailand. Moving on to Europe. Russian President Vladimir Putin will not travel to South Africa to meet with BRICS leaders next month. Putin will, however, participate in the BRICS summit via video link, while Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov will attend in person. The decision averts a possible diplomatic crisis over an arrest warrant issued by the International Criminals Court against Putin. Dasha Chernyshova reports from Moscow. The Kremlin has confirmed that Russian President Vladimir Putin will not go to South Africa for the BRICS summit next month. Spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Moscow will be represented by Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Putin will join his counterparts from Brazil, India, China and South Africa via the video link. The Kremlin dismissed reports that Russia allegedly warned host nation South Africa that arresting Putin on an international warrant for war crimes would mean war. Peskov said that everyone understood without having it explained to them what an attempt to infringe on Putin's rights would mean. South Africa said Putin's decision not to go was a mutual agreement. That was Dasha Chernyshova reporting from Moscow. Russia has warned it will consider ships traveling to Ukrainian ports via the Black Sea as possible military targets beginning on Thursday. Moscow also launched a second night of airstrikes against Ukraine's main Black Sea port city of Odessa. Louis Greenwood reports. Ukrainian officials say over half of the drones and missiles launched were shot down in what they call a hellish night. The attack damaged homes as well as infrastructure at the city's port. And it wasn't just Odessa. There were strikes across southern Ukraine, including in the city of Mykolaiv. I saw a red flash in the window and reacted immediately. The moment I fell on the floor behind the bed, all the windows were blown out. I went downstairs, it was noisy and filled with smoke outside. People were in panic, some were crying, glass shards were scattered all around. Officials say Odessa is being targeted as part of a deliberate campaign to destroy Ukraine's grain exports after Russia withdrew from the Black Sea Grain Initiative earlier this week. But despite claims by Moscow that the routes across the Black Sea will no longer be safe, Ukraine's president has vowed that shipments will continue. Meanwhile, in Russian-controlled Crimea, over 2,000 people were evacuated when a fire broke out at a military training base. 
There's no explanation yet for the blaze, which comes just two days after an explosion damaged the Kursk Bridge linking Crimea to Russia in a strike that Moscow blames on Kyiv. But despite the ongoing violence, Ukraine's backers say its counteroffensive against Russia is now at a turning point. This is not over. We continue to generate combat power, training, three, training and equipping three brigades in, uh, in Germany right now, and there, there's other training uh, ongoing around the, around the region. Now, our work continues, and uh, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that Ukrainians uh, can be successful. But in Odessa, residents are clearing up after this latest attack in anticipation of more strikes to come. That was Louis Greenwood reporting. Stay in Europe. Spain has classified the latest heat wave as extreme in more than 30 districts across the country. Wildfires on La Palma are showing no signs of dying and parts of the country are still facing drought. The issues come as Spanish voters head to the polls this weekend for the general election. Kim Brownie has more. It's still nearly 40 degrees in Madrid, and it's even hotter around other parts of Spain. Uh, Figueres in Girona reached 45.4 degrees. That's a record in Catalonia. Red weather alerts in Murcia, Malaga, Alicante. Now, despite these temperatures, people continue to flock to Spain uh, in their millions. Numbers are on course to break records for tourism this year. Authorities are, are asking people to stay inside from 12 to around 4 p.m. Wildfires still burning on La Palma and uh, red alert across the country for wildfires. Well, despite these record temperatures, droughts around uh, much of the country, reservoirs drying up, it it doesn't appear to be a big issue for the the Spanish electorate. I saw one list that uh, talked about the economic crisis in the top spot, then health care, then unemployment. Prediction C, the centre-right party, the Partido Popular, uh, to to be in government with far-right party Vox come Monday or Tuesday when those results are in. Now, we've heard from this block a lot of climate scepticism, and they have talked about a willingness to put fishing, farming, tourism, and industry in general ahead of the climate emergency. That was Cambrowney in Madrid on issues concerning Spain ahead of a general election. In Africa, Kenyans have taken to the streets in a three-day new round of protests caught by opposition leaders against tax hikes and the high cost of living. Several people sustained gunshot wounds, and a number of opposition politicians were arrested on the first day of demonstrations on Wednesday. Many businesses remained closed in major cities and towns for fear of violence. Wikister Nyabwa reports. Police officers barricaded some of the roads that led out of the informal settlement while protesters who were trying to leave pelted the officers with stones. A field nearby was one of the three convergence points for protesters from where they planned to join others drawn from around the city, but high security deployments thwarted those plans. Unlike previous recent demonstrations, opposition leader Raila Odinga, who had called for the protests over tax hikes and the rising cost of living, was nowhere to be seen. There were reports that some of the opposition leaders, including several members of parliament, had been arrested in different parts of the country. Schools in Nairobi, Mombasa and Kisumu were ordered closed, while many businesses also shut their doors for fear of violence and destruction. Experts say the protests have been costing businesses about 200,000 U.S. dollars per day. 
On a normal day when you come to town to work, you go back home with something in your pocket, but today nobody has turned up and no work is being done. The country is now at a standstill. Nothing is moving and businesses aren't selling. We aren't doing well at all. At least 15 people have been killed in the protests this month. By the end of the day, the government's plans to contain the protesters seemed to have succeeded in most parts of the capital city and several major towns. But the opposition says there will be no let-up in their protests. They say the demonstrations will continue until the new taxes are removed and their grievances addressed. That was Wikister Nyaba reporting from Nairobi. In North America, the United States, Europe and Asia remain in the grips of devastating extreme weather events. In the U.S., Kentucky declared a state of emergency after roads and homes were flooded following hours of intense rainfall. Meanwhile, intense heat in the southern parts of the United States has tens of millions of people under heat advisory and warnings. Ivan Rodriguez reports. A trail of destruction left behind by a tornado tearing through North Carolina Wednesday afternoon. Well, that's my sister's home behind you that's uh, totally destroyed. My aunt's home right here that's, uh, that's pretty much gone as well. Fast rising waters seeping into homes and cars. That's my truck. Turning roads into rivers in eastern Kentucky, catastrophic floods triggering an emergency in Mayfield where an EF4 tornado killed dozens of people in 2021. Moments ago, I declared a state of emergency due to the impacts from severe weather. In Pennsylvania, unfavorable conditions have suspended the days-long search for a two-year-old and nine-month-old who have been missing since Saturday after flash floods submerged the car they were in, killing their mother. We ask that everybody stay away from the flood zone. Meanwhile, life-threatening heat continues to shatter records in parts of the country. Took care of a lady that was burnt on the asphalt. I mean, if it's... If it's 120 out here, the asphalt's 175 east. Phoenix has seen sizzling temperatures over 110 degrees for 20 straight days now. It's hit 100 degrees and higher for 34 consecutive days in El Paso, Texas. And in Florida, where the heat index has topped 100 for nearly 40 days, Miami-Dade commissioners gave initial approval to a measure that would mandate shade and water for outdoor workers when the heat index tops 90 degrees. That was Ivan Rodriguez reporting. Before we go, here's a recap of the top stories. A gunman has killed two people before he was gunned down by police in New Zealand hours before the FIFA Women's World Cup kicked off. Russian President Vladimir Putin will participate in the BRICS summit in South Africa next month via video link. Several people have been shot in Kenya during a new round of nationwide protests against tax hikes and the high cost of living. And that concludes this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.